Elohe Avraham, Elohe Yitzhak, Elohe Yaakov, Elohe Yeshua Mishikenu. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, God of Yeshua, our Messiah, we come before you today, God, eager to hear what you would speak to our lives, speak into our hearts. God, we open our hearts and our minds and our ears and our eyes to see what you're saying. So, Father, we say, speak to us, help us, pour your grace upon us that we would receive and obey. And we ask you, B'Shem Yeshua Mishikeno, and everyone said, Amen. First of all, I want to encourage, if you have, especially if you have families, kids, be sure to come tomorrow. It's going to be a blast. We have the Maccabean Games that we're going to be doing. Um, so there's going to be all sorts of fun uh, relays for the kids, and there might even be a water balloon or two, I don't know, uh, floating around. But it's going to be really fun. So come out and join us. It's going to be a great time of fellowship, eating, of course, and, uh, and fun. So uh, please join us. Um, today's message is entitled, Do You See What God Sees? And it's a warning from Acts chapter 28. Today we'll be concluding this series or this mini-series on Acts. And I'll be speaking from Acts chapter 28, focusing on verses 26 and 27 specifically. Rav Shaul, to give you a little context, is at the conclusion of his journey to Rome, where he was imprisoned for two years. Upon his imprisonment, he quickly reaches out to the Jewish leaders in the city. One commentator said, on the basis of information provided by Roman and Jewish historiographers, scholars estimate that as many as 40,000 Jewish people lived in the imperial city in the middle of the first century. From inscriptions, we know that there were at least 10 synagogues in Rome with influential leaders. These leaders that met with Shaul to hear him state the reason for his imprisonment. As the consummate opportunist, the emissary, after professing his innocence, quickly moves to the task of presenting the Besorah to these Jewish leaders through the use of the Torah and the Nevi'im. The result is that the Jewish leaders were divided. Some believed and others did not. Um, Stern writes, surely this all-day session in which large numbers of local Jewish leaders of the capital of the world came to visit the world's leading evangelist in order to hear about Messianic Judaism must be unique in world history. Think about it. If you were to go into a city today and gather the leaders of the Jewish community to discuss Messianic Judaism... It's pretty cool, right? Shaul's procedure with them was the same as with the Jewish people everywhere. He appealed to the Tanakh, making use of both the Torah of Moshe and the prophets to persuade them about Yeshua. Shaul could use the scriptures freely since obviously the Jewish leaders would have known them by heart. Of the large numbers of Jewish leaders present, 
Some were persuaded and some disbelieved or refused to believe. The sum and the sum are correlative of comparable size, of more or less the same order of magnitude. It's reasonable to assume that it was like, you know, maybe not exactly 50-50, but they were kind of split in the middle. That, too, is very profound. Therefore, the whole leadership of Rome's Jewish community was well represented by the large numbers and that a sizable proportion of them, though not necessarily half, were persuaded of the truth of Messianic Judaism. This is why I say at the meeting, this is why I say that the meeting must be unique in world history. And Stern goes on to say, I know of no other reported instance of a sizable proportion of a major Jewish community's leadership coming to faith in the gospel in one day. So think about that Acts 28, which culminates the whole book of Acts is, wow, it's starting off on a pretty good note. This is pretty powerful. Wow, Shaul is sharing with the Jewish leaders. We could say maybe about half of them, you know, that represent, you know, 10 synagogues. Believe what he's saying about Yeshua. It goes on to say, so they left disagreeing among themselves, and after Shaul had made one final statement, the Ruach HaKodesh spoke well in saying to your fathers through Yeshayahu the prophet, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing but never understand, you will keep on seeing but never perceive, because the heart of this people has grown thick. With their eyes they barely hear, and their eyes... They have closed for fear that they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and do teshuvah. So I could heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the goyim, and they will listen. After he had said this, the Jews left arguing vehemently among themselves. Shaul remained two whole years in a place he rented for himself, and he continued receiving all who came to him openly, without hindrance, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. It's safe to say that what took place here in Acts 28 is significant, extremely Significant, as Stern suggests. With that said, great things are happening, and they are happening in the midst of Shaul's own personal struggles. He's in prison, guys. Yes, with some liberties, but still imprisoned. However, the Shaliach is quick to point out a very real danger, and I want you to hear me. To his fellow Jews, and I would suggest is something that you and I should take to heart and consider as well. And I believe this is especially poignant with the high holy days approaching. He does this by quoting Yeshayahu chapter 6 verses 9 through 10. And he quotes this passage out of, listen to me, out of love and concern for his people on Israel. He does not accuse. 
And he doesn't do it to justify any type of judgment of God. But rather out of a sincere desire to see people respond properly to the word of God. He sounds a warning. Shaul's final statement quoting Isaiah 6 As one commentator says, it's not an imprecation, an anathema, or a curse, but a warning to the some who refuse to believe. A last word of persuasion recalling the events that took place in Yeshiahu's day. Recalling the events and trying to see what happened in that day in that people's hearts were hardened, not happen again. God eventually, because like Pharaoh who hardened his heart too often, God eventually seals and makes final the hardening. So it becomes impossible for the person to do teshuvah. We are in the month of Elul, right? We're approaching the high holy days in which teshuvah is very important. But teshuvah only happens with a soft heart. With a heart that sees and hears the voice of God. And so you and I, right, need to be careful to make sure our heart, right, because God loves us so much. He doesn't want hardness. You know what? Hardness of heart builds up and can build up easily on any heart. It doesn't matter who you are. If you stand up here or sit down there, hardness could form easily. And so God wants us to be warned. And the first point is exactly that, a warning from God. He said, go and tell this people, yes, you hear, but don't understand. You certainly see, but you don't get the point. Make the heart of this people sluggish or fat. Stop up their ears and shut their eyes. Otherwise, seeing with their eyes and hearing with their ears, then understanding with their hearts, they might repent and be healed. Is God, you think God is saying, because you could read that the wrong way, that God is almost wanting them not to see and not to hear. But that's not it at all. Of course God is wanting them to respond like he wants you to respond. Like he wants me to respond. How true do we know this is? How many of us have had a conversation where you're looking at someone and they're talking to you, but you're not hearing a word they're saying? You're looking at them, panim el panim, face to face, but you don't hear a word they say because you're distracted, because you've got other things on your mind, or even perhaps because you want to formulate your own thoughts, and a lot, this happens a lot, we're more concerned about what we want to say that we're not really hearing them. We're not even seeing them. We're kind of just waiting for our opportunity. And the words are coming at us. Husbands, it ever happened with your spouse? What was that, honey? As she says, are you kidding me? I just spent 20 minutes talking to you about that. So yeah, she was in the room. She was communicating, speaking. But it went over my head because I was distracted. We know what that's like.
You see, the resistance belongs to the people, and it's not a matter of divine cunning. In other words, God's not playing a trick on folks that they don't hear and see. It's resistance from the people, from the people who are not interested enough to focus their attention on what God is saying or on what someone is speaking to them. It's on the people, and God is wanting his people to be warned. Someone said the resistance is the people's, and Isaiah taught with such simplicity and clarity that the sophisticates of his day scorned him as only fit to conduct a kindergarten class. They said, you speak so simply, too plainly. What is this simple stuff? The Isaiahic literature as it has come to us bears all the marks of plain, systematic, reasoned approach. It is clear that Isaiah did not understand his commission as one to blind people by obscurity or expression or complexity of his message. In fact, he faced the preacher's dilemma. If hearers are resistant to the truth, the only recourse is to tell them the truth again and again and more clearly than before. Basically dumbing it down. He wants to, get, he wants to make it so simple that they, they can't not understand what he's saying. Because this is how desperately, hear me, how desperately God wants you to see what he's doing, hear what he's saying, and understand it in your heart. Hear me. God wants you to get it. But the problem is, to do this, to make it plainer and plainer, is to expose people to the risk of rejecting the truth yet again and again. Therefore, of increased hardness of heart. It could even be that the next rejection will will be proved to be the breaking point, and they'll be hardened beyond repair. So God is saying to us, guys, be warned. Hear it, see it, perceive it, and do it. This is not something to really be trifled with. Friends, guys, if you watch the news, we are living in prophetic days. Prophetic days. And God is calling out to us. We see similar warnings throughout scripture. The very nature of a warning, right, is to avert catastrophe, right? Isn't that why someone warns us? So think of this warning as a good thing. How many of us would love, I personally would, if my barbecue grill would warn me before I burn my chicken and it gets too dry that it's like a little leather thing. I don't know about you. I have a gift for that. You want to ruin protein, give it to me. Because I'm always afraid I'm going to undercook it. So guess what? I overcook it. Wouldn't it be great if there's a little warning? Wouldn't it be great if your car had a little warning that every time you were about 
to get in an accident or pass a red light or do something that would get you a ticket, it set out a warning and said, hey, stop it, slow down. There's a police a mile away. Wouldn't that be awesome? A warning. We would welcome such a warning. How much more should we welcome a warning from God? In Yirmiyahu chapter 5, in verse 20 through 22, it says, Declare this in the house of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah, saying, Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. Do you not fear me? Says the Lord. In Yechetzkiel chapter 12, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house which has eyes to see but does not see and ears to hear but does not hear. They are a rebellious house. In both these instances, the prophet was there to warn, not that people would perish, not to gloat over people's inability to see and hear. No, not to gloat over it, not to even exact the judgment of God because no prophet exacts judgment anyway. It is God and God alone who judges. But the prophet is there as one who would warn God's people. In Matthew chapter 13, Yeshua himself uses this same passage. And the Talmudim came to Yeshua and they said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will never, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. And in this passage, Yeshua uses this passage in Isaiah not just to speak of salvation like one might assume from Acts 28, but about the ability for people to receive the truth of the teachings of God. From that last statement, we see the importance of Teshuvah. But Teshuvah is predicated on hearing, seeing, and an understanding heart. If you don't see God and hear God and understand what he's doing, guess what? You'll never turn. I will never turn from my wicked ways if I don't have a seeing, hearing, and understanding heart. And that is a tragedy for mankind. Because guess what? Mankind's only hope is that we would hear the voice of the Savior and acquiesce to his request and repent. Yeshua isn't playing favorites here and what he's getting at is that those who really desire to know the truths of God and walk in them. Ask yourself that question. 
Am I someone who really desires to know the truths of God and walk in them? I believe you are. To those who are really hungry for God and his truth as revealed in the word of God. To those who are not interested in mere religious banter and practice to appease the conscience. These are the ones that receive from the Almighty. He's warning us. And look what he says here in Yeshiahu 55. Come all. Come all who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what, the, what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. Listen. You hear what he's getting at? Hear me. Get it. Listen. Listen to me. And eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Doesn't that sound good? He's not saying, listen, listen to me and I'm going to starve you and it's going to be miserable because I'm an ogre. He's saying, no, 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 listen to me. Hear me and see me and understand what I'm saying because I want you to delight in the richest affair. Doesn't that sound good? How many people want to delight in God's richest fare? I certainly do. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. How many times did he say listen in that passage? Over and over and over and over again. So hear the warning in that. This is a warning of love, not judgment. This is a warning for us to heed so that we can dine on the delicacies of heaven. I mean, the proof is right there in scripture for us. How many of the multitudes heard what Yeshua said? Saw the things Yeshua did, right? But really never perceived in their heart. They got up after they had the fish and chips and they walked away. They didn't really get it. They had no desire to come to him and say, Master, what did you mean? What did you mean when you said the parable of the soul? What did you mean when you talked about the stony heart? What does that mean? No, they were content to not understand. Though they saw, though they heard, and they just walked away and said, thanks for the meal. Catch you next week, Yeshua. So it's a warning to us, to God's people. The second thing it leads me to is the anatomy of a hard heart. We need to see what makes up a hard heart so we could be sure we don't have one. Amen? Someone said this, our enmity toward God takes on many labels, such as rebellion, hard-heartedness, stiff-neckedness, unrepentant, puffed up, easily offended, 
sign seekers. The proud wish God would agree with them. They aren't interested in changing their opinions to agree with God's. Think about that. So let's talk about a hard heart. Because Yeshua is certainly saying, boy, a hard heart's a bad thing, right? Shaul is saying a hard heart's a really bad thing. Friends, we have high holy days coming up, Yom Kippur coming up. Guess what? A hard heart won't do us any good as we look to do Teshuvah. So a hard heart's a bad thing. And a hard heart is the result of, listen to me, and write these down, consuming the wrong fare, participating in the wrong activities, and ultimately making the wrong decisions. Decisions that align with our flesh and our own agenda. Three things. Consuming the wrong things. Participating in wrong activities and making wrong decisions is how we get to a hard heart. The scripture says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot, say cannot, be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted. When they are dragged away, it says, by their own evil desires and are enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So how many people want to avoid that? Yes, we want to avoid that. And so we don't want our hearts to be hard. Each of us has the ability to resist the temptations that would lead us to consume wrong things, that would lead us to do wrong things and the wrong activities and make wrong decisions. Here's a little food analogy. Okay, I have food on my mind. Even though I'm always dieting, I love to eat. I have to tell you. I, I, I love to eat. I always got a little something working. And I'll tell you, if you, if you want to consume the wrong things, I'm going to tell you what not to consume. Don't watch Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives in the evening around 9, 10 o'clock where dinner has worn off. And you're watching this guy eat all these decadent things. Don't do that. Because then my wheels start turning. I'm saying, gee, how could I make that healthy? And how could you make that healthy? There's grease coming from everywhere. You can't make those things healthy. But don't do that. So here's my food analogy. And actually, Abigail gave this to me because she had mentioned it to me. You know when you're hungry? Like you might be right now. I don't know about you. I only had like 160 calories this morning. So I could be hungry. But you know when you're hungry and you're eating healthy and all those healthy foods taste really good. I have some like healthy snacks, some like granola snacks that I absolutely flip over. I love them. They're so delicious. Oh, I buy boxes of them to have. I just love them. But after you are eating junk food, maybe you're having a, a little 
rough patch. And you're eating, you're spending some time eating wrong things. And you're eating chips and cookies and all the stuff you know you shouldn't eat. And you spend a couple of days nibbling on wrong things. And then you say, you know what, I'm going to have something healthy instead. And you go and you take that healthy snack. And all of a sudden, that healthy snack that you loved and found so delicious, all of a sudden loses its appeal. It doesn't taste as good anymore. It's not really that desirable anymore. How does this little granola that I thought was delicious compare to that Oreo cookie, double stuffed, (laughs) with that cold glass of milk that wants me to dunk it over and over and over again? It does it. It loses its appeal in the same way. When we dine on wrong spiritual things, when we get off track and begin to consume things that are worldly and not of God, when we begin to do wrong activities that God is not in, the things of God lose their appeal all of a sudden spending time in God's presence doesn't sound as great as it did before. Spending time in God's word isn't as exciting because when you're on, you want to jump up out of bed and you can't wait to pick up. For my case, I pick up the guitar and I start to sing and and gosh, the presence of the Lord comes and and I say, Lord, speak to me. And he speaks to me a word. And I, I hear the word. Oh, it, it's, it's food for the soul. But when you're doing the wrong things, all of a sudden, that's not exciting. This is why we struggle to pray and to worship. To be in the word and to reach out to others. This is why we struggle to to make right decisions and to serve. Because we allow our hearts to go off. And guess what? They begin to get a little hardened. They begin to glass over a little bit. So contrast that to a healthy heart. Now wouldn't we not expect a believer wants to pray. A believer wants to worship. A believer wants to be in the word. A believer wants to tell others about Yeshua. The believer wants to serve and make right decisions. Right? And now it doesn't mean that we always feel like, don't confuse that with always feeling like doing those things because we know we don't walk by faith. We walk by, we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. Right? But the believer wants to do those things. A soft heart. You see, someone said, if we are too full of the world, we will find that God will start to lose his attractiveness. When we fail to use the spiritual tools God has given us to live and to walk in victory, then too will we begin to fall prey to wrong influences. John Piper said this. It's in his book called Don't Waste Your Life. He says, I am wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. 
I start to fit in. I love, I start to love what others love. I start to call earth home. Before you know it, I am calling luxuries needs and using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget the war. I don't think much about people perishing. Missions and unreached people drop out of my mind. I stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace. And I sink into a secular mindset that looks first to what man can do and not to what God can do. It is a terrible sickness. And I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a wartime mindset. You could say that I am doing that today for you. I'm forcing you toward a wartime mindset. The things of this world, let's face it, hold great appeal to our flesh. But they do nothing for eternity. And God is saying, don't you, my people, allow yourself to develop a hard heart. Amen? No one is exempt. We all need to be encouraged to take care and look after our hearts and to do all that we can to truly hear, see, and understand what God is saying to us. Do you know what? God spoke today. Did you hear him? Friends, did you hear God today? I heard him. God was speaking today. He showed up. To know you, to know you, that's the cry of my heart. Ruach, reveal him to me, to hear what he's saying. It brings life to my bones. To know you, to know you alone. God's speaking to us. Friends, you might be in this room and maybe you don't know him. Maybe you just know about him. Maybe you don't know him. Friends, I'm going to tell you this. If I could get on my knees and beg you, I would do it if I knew it would work. That the most important thing in life, in the world, that you could ever accomplish is to know the Creator. Everything else, every achievement, every accolade, every letter you have after your name will fall short of satisfying your soul. Knowing him is our highest call. God is speaking today. He said in that word that I hear, I heard, trust me. Some folks in this room are in a bad way and you need to trust God. Wait on God. Know what are you saying today? I see what you're going through. I'm on it. Trust me. I feel your pain. I know your anguish. Trust me. God was speaking. He's speaking now. And I want to give you eight keys to hearing, to a hearing 
seeing and discerning heart. They're going to be quick. So take these down. Eight keys. Quickly, here they are. Be open to God. One of the first things we must do to ensure our hearts are in the position to receive from God is that we must open our hearts to his will and his way. Many cannot perceive what God is doing or saying because they already have a preconceived agenda that they want to follow. They have something that they want in their life, maybe even badly. So instead of releasing and trusting God, they they hold on to it. God, I want to be a doctor. It's been my dream since I could remember. God, that's what I want to do. So I'm not really really open to go before God and say, God, what do you want for my life? What do you want me to do? Because I'm afraid that he may... Tell me something else. So what do we do? Is we close our hearts to God. We're not really open to hear him because we're afraid of what he might say. Afraid of where he might lead us. Along with this, we must learn to put our desires aside for the sake of his. Let's face it, sometimes we may not want to do what God wants or do it the way he wants. Truth be told, even though we know and respect the word of God, if we are honest, there are some sections of the word that we avoid. Because we don't like what it says. Some sections of the word we avoid. Because we are afraid of its implication on our life. I want to tell you, to have a soft, open hearing, seeing, and understanding heart, you've got to be open to God. It goes down to trust, friends. God, think of the person who loves you most right now. Put them in, put them in your mind. Who loves you most? You got it? Think of an earthly person who loves you most. God loves you a gazillion times more. Do you think he wants you to open up to him so he could crush your heart? Hey, open up to me, kids, and watch what I do. Really? God loves you so much more than you could even imagine. He's saying, open up to me. Let me speak to you. Friend, there's nothing like I've done things that I initially in my mind haven't been thrilled to do only to find out that wow God knew what he was doing God knew what he was doing he won't let you down the second thing is be humble The humble heart is one that is ready and willing to acquiesce to God because it has made him both Lord and ruler of their life. The scriptures tell us. See, some people pray, God humble me. Please don't pray that. 
You wouldn't like, if you look at scripture, the way God humbles people, um, it's usually not great. God is looking for us to humble ourselves before him. Think about some of the Jewish leaders of Yeshua's day. They could not receive from the Messiah, the Mashiach, the son of the living God. Why? Because they deemed their own teaching and their own authority above his. They couldn't receive from God in the flesh because they deemed what they had to say and their finite intellect more important than God's infinite. The order of that day was humble yourself. There's a new sheriff in town. He's called Yeshua HaMashiach. Be humble. God opposes the proud. Gives grace to the humble. Tehillim 25 says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. He does that to humble people. See, humble people, he guides them because they hear him and they see where he's leading and they perceive in their heart. Because humble people, it's an attribute of a soft, pliable heart. So, right? Be humble. And it's something you could do. The next thing, third thing, is to be thirsty for God. The way you develop a thirst for God, because you might say, well, what if you're not thirsty? What do you do? Well, the way you develop a thirst for God is by really getting to know him. By spending time with him, even if you don't feel like it. All the you know, studies tell us to drink eight glasses of water, right? And I had known that just like you since birth. Everyone knows that, right? Drink eight glasses of water. And let's say some people say even half your body weight in liters. Drink that much water. Whatever the case, you know you're supposed to drink water, right? And for years and years and years, and especially as a young man, I never drank water. And I never really drank, right? I mean, most people don't even think throughout the course of the day. They maybe have a drink with their meal, and that's it. Well, you know what? Since I've been, you know, on track with things and living a healthy lifestyle and such, I drink, as my wife could attest, all the time, drink water like it's coming out of my ears. I need a bathroom at every turn. I know where they all are. So if you're going shopping and you're wondering, call me. I'll tell you if it has a bathroom. I know. Because I have to have an outlet, you know. I'm drinking so much water. But I'll tell you what now. On Saturdays, I don't drink a lick of water. Because I'm going to be up here and up there for hours on end. I can't be needing to run to the restroom, right? So I don't drink a lick of water. Can I tell you that I am so thirsty right now? Now, I could go usually all day and night without even thinking of it. I am so thirsty right now. For water. You want to know why? Because I began drinking water. My body now knows what it's missing. And my body is saying, thanks, Gary. Thanks for the temptation in the first row. But guess what? Guess what, Gary? God had my back. A little water. (laughs) 
But you hear what I'm saying? My body, now that it knows and has tasted that drinking water is good, I could miss a couple of hours of water and my body says, you're thirsty. I could feel it. I'm thirsty. Guess what? That's how you get thirsty for God. You spend time really getting to know his presence, sitting at his feet, getting to know him. And let me tell you, you begin to do it. It might feel like reading the newspaper for a while, but then you go without it and you're going to know your body, your spirit is going to say, man, you need to get into the presence of God. You'll begin to get thirsty for God. Look what it says here. See, it takes time and effort as well as discipline and self-control. But once we have a taste of the living water, nothing else will do. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Tehillim 42 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go to meet with God? See, this is that thirst that the psalmist developed by spending time with God. See, what happens is we get out of the habit of being with God. And we are dehydrated and don't even know it. But once you get back into his presence and start being hydrated by the Ruach Hashem, the living waters of Yeshua, all of a sudden you need that water and you need it desperately. Friends, if you're in this room and you have never made a decision to serve Yeshua the Messiah, you don't know what you're missing. You don't know what you're missing. And he wants you to know him. The fourth thing is to be confident in God's mercy. See, I know what many of you are thinking. Oh, Rabbi, I'm guilty of all those things. I'm guilty of some of those things you mentioned about a hard heart. God, I've blown it in the past. Guess what, friend? We think God is looking for perfection. And if we're unsure of who God is... It will move us away from him instead of toward him because we think God is waiting to judge us and scold us. But that's not the truth. God is wanting to have mercy on you. God's wanting you to come. But I've been away from God. I've let God down. You're the perfect candidate. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to know, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast off. God's not looking to push us away, friend. He's looking for us to come. You need to be confident in his mercy. You've blown it, join the human race. He wants you to be confident that at the feet of Yeshua is mercy and grace. He just wants you to be confident in that. Another key to a seeing, hearing, and perceiving heart is obedience. We need to be obedient. If we are obedient or willing to be obedient, God will speak. We will hear and perceive correctly. But why why would God talk to, to you over and over again if you have shown yourself unwilling to obey? 
Why would God continually speak to someone who has said over and over and over and over and over and over again, I'm I'm unwilling. Now, you could change that. You could come to him, right? Find mercy. But then say, Hineni, I'm willing. I'm willing. See, you you and I have to be willing. Friend, being willing doesn't mean you have to be clicking your heels at everything God asks of us. It means you just need to be willing. You know, when I walk in the house and my wife says, Michael, the kids clogged the toilet bowl. (laughs) Trust me, I'm not clicking the heels. But I am willing. And when you go and you do it, and what happens? Life as we know it is restored again. It's about being willing. Friends, it's about being obedient to God. God sent his Messiah. And he's looking to be obeyed. He won't give us anything more than we could handle. He'll help us. He'll be with us. He'll empower us. But he does expect us to be obedient. When we're obedient, we hear. We perceive when we're obedient. Acts 13.22 says, He raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Yeshai, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. David, as we know, was far from perfect, right? (laughs) Far from perfect. But he will do all my will. That gets the attention of God and it allows our heart to be soft and pliable. Next thing, and I'm almost done, is we need to be relational. Say relational. Relational. Be relational with God. Not religious. Think of how comfortably you interact with your best friend, with your husband, with your wife. This is how we should interact with God. You want a proof? These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Right? Think of how natural that is. Impress these on your children. As you're going about your day, as you're walking down the road, as you're doing your old, old normal business, hey, you want to go take a walk to the store with me? Uh, Yoshiahu, great. Listen, uh, Yoshiahu, I just want to tell you, God loves you, has a plan for your life. He wants you to follow his ways because you, you know what? I often do this with my kids. When my kids are in the car with me, they're usually getting a little something. And I'm saying, and I've, my kids will tell you this, they know this. What I've told my kids, whatever they do, wherever you're at, The most thing that's important in your life is your relationship with God. And if that is first and foremost, everything else will fall into place. If you do anything, make sure your relationship with God is intact. You know when I do that? When I'm driving to the store, my little Abigail always wants to pop in the car and go where Dad goes. We're going to the store to get things, going running errands. And in those times, I'm just speaking as I get along the road. When you lie down, when you get up at the breakfast table, 
Yeah, you could eat and um, chat with God. That's okay. You know, God's not offended by coffee and a bagel, you know? Uh, he has ears to hear. You know, we think religiously, I have to be in my closet. Where is that? And we get in. You know what? If a closet works for you, I don't mean a literal closet, I personally love the time I spend with the Lord. I have my own little thing going on with God. But that doesn't preclude me from chatting with God all day long. I'm always talking to God. I'm always boop, boop, in the car along the way when I'm doing something, while I'm worshiping, talking to God. You know, when I was singing that song, one of those songs, it was the Send the Fire song, and burn up every trace of sin. I'm saying, God, burn up every trace of sin. I was singing it and meaning it and wanting it in my life. God, burn up every trace of sin in me because I want to be right with you. Right? High holy days are coming. God wants us holy. See, it's about every aspect of our life. It's not about a religious thing only. It's about a relational thing. Be relational with God. Rabbi, I'm too busy to have a devotional life. You're living your life every day. You go to lunch at work, spend it with God. You're walking from, a lot of you folks work at the hospital. You know when you have to make that three-mile hike from, the, from where you park your car to get to where you work? Well, you need, a, like you need a backpack with water in it. It's so long. Every time I go to visit, someone at the hospital. I have to have an energy bar. I have to have a bottle of water because it's like a two-day journey, you know, from the car to the... You know, when you're doing that every day, do it with God. Talking with God. Spending time with God. It's relational. Many think of Judaism as highly religious, but look how natural it is, really. When you're with your kids, tell them about the commandments of God. When you walk along the way, tell them. When you lie down, when they get up, in every normal activity of life, instruct them about me. It's very natural, and it's very relational. Seventh thing is this, be separated from sin. And sinful ways. Yeshiyahu 9, and this is all I'm going to say on this matter. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And trust me, if he's not hearing you, you're not hearing him. So sin separates. So put off the sinful ways. Friend, all I could say this on sin. The devil does a great job, Hasatan does a great job at painting a gross, disfigured, ugly-looking thing to make it look nice, to make it look attractive. And let me tell you, sin does one thing. It is the blight of humankind. It is at the root of everything negative in the world, everything negative in your life. Sin is at, it, at the root. So you and I should have a thing towards sin, like someone was coming at us with an axe. We would run for the hills. And that's how we should treat sin. Be separated from sin in sinful ways. And then the finally, 
Be in faith. The scripture says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Friend, you cannot hear God without being in faith. Without faith, who are you hearing from? Faith is of the utmost importance. That's why he says, without faith, think of it this way, without faith, it's impossible. Bad news, good news, with faith, all things are possible. So you and I, and I've been praying this so you know, you don't know this, but I know it. But every single day I pray for everyone in this congregation and my family for God to increase our faith. Because without faith, nothing works. We have to be those. Why go to prayer if you don't believe God's going to speak to you? Because prayer isn't a one-way conversation, right? It's a two-way. So why even bother to pray if we don't hear back? Abraham heard back, David heard back, Yeshua heard back, Shmuel heard back, and that's why they were eager to pray. Guess what? Be in faith, and you'll be eager for those times of prayer because you'll be hearing back from God. Far too many people are suffering the consequences of a life separated from God when it doesn't have to be. Some of us in this room perhaps have some of the symptoms of a hardened heart. The good news is you could change that right now, right today. You could change it. And I want to close with this verse. It's Tehillim 107, and it says this. Some lived in darkness, in death, dark gloom, bound in misery, and iron chains because they defied God's word, scorned the counsel of the Most High. That's the result of a hardened heart. And friends, there's lots of people in the world and even in the body. But here's the good news. So he humbled their hearts by hard labor. When they stumbled, no one came to their aid. In their trouble... They cried to Adonai, and he rescued them from their distress. I want to tell you, he is within earshot of your cry. He's waiting for your cry, and he's waiting to run and bring you relief. He rescued them from their distress. He led them from darkness, from death, dark gloom shattering their chains. That's what God wants to do for you. That's why God warns us about not having a hard heart. That's why God shows us, man, that a hard heart is a bad thing to have and that we can, by doing a few simple things, ensure that our heart is soft and pliable in the hands of the potter.
High Holy Days, less than a month away. God wants a heart right. God is looking for people with the right heart. So what we're going to do is just going to give an opportunity. I'm going to ask Robert Carroll, Gary Myrna, Chris, Evan to come, and they're going to be available. And I want us to first just spend a few minutes at our seats, digest, ruminate over what we've talked about today, and say, God, I want a heart that's soft, a heart that's hearing, eyes that see, and a spirit that perceives what you're doing at all times. God, I'm willing. That's all it takes. God, I'm willing. And if he shows you something, fine, take care of it. And maybe you just need help. You know, some of us just need help in prayer. Someone to pray with us. And so these folks are going to come, and they're going to be available in prayer. We're going to do take a few minutes. I'm going to make my way to the keyboard. We'll worship and just have a little atmosphere. But if you need, listen, if you're in this room and you have not received Yeshua, please, friend, There's no way but Yeshua. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And if you haven't done that or taken care of that or if you've done it and not meant it and want to do it and mean it, tell the person you come to, they'll pray with you and you get to know the Messiah today. So let's come. I want folks who are praying to come and let's um, take a moment of quiet reflection and think about our ways.